Oh, my life, my love, my all, I give you, God. Jesus, my life, my love, my all, I give you. Do we give everything, each breath, each moment, each hurt, each pain, each joy, each blissful moment, do we really give it all? Just one touch of Jesus and we are healed, do we, do we give it all? Our scripture reading this morning asks us to do just that. What are the two greatest commandments? Jesus says, give, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, you're all. Love God with your all. Sometimes when we read that scripture passage, though, we, we tend to spiritualize it. And that means it doesn't have anything to do with our physical life as much as how our heart, our mind, and spirit is. And when we read the word soul in that, we lose the old definition of soul, the scriptural definition of soul. Soul meant body and spirit. So do we give our body as well? Do we love God with our body, spirit, mind, heart? with our whole being, our soul. It's important to know the whole meaning of that word because in our culture for too long it's been too easy to make these things up here in the head, in the heart, and in the clouds spiritual. And these things of the body and the earth, non-spiritual or less spiritual. But the scripture verse is clear. It says soul. The song is clear. It says all. Are we giving our whole selves to God? including our bodies as well. The title for this sermon is Sexual Healing in our series, When We Touch. And I don't know about you, but I've been in places in my life where I needed some sexual healing. You know, you could have been in the drought of all droughts for decades. You need sexual healing. You can be having more than you know what to do with, and you need sexual healing. You have been taught things in your life that need to be untaught about the body and about sex. You have believed things. You've drank them and eaten them and just breathed them in for so long, it takes a long time to get rid of them out of our lives. It says, my life, my all, my soul, everything that I am. Some of you may say, I don't know if I want Jesus that close to me. Do, Troy, do you mean in bed too? Yeah, I do. We give it all up to God and to Jesus, and God is blessed to be with us, incarnate and whole with us in our lives. But it's hard to believe that God has that much grace for us when we've been taught so many other things, that Jesus taught us of a God that has so much love for us when we've been taught these so many things. Can it really be true? Is it too good to be true? Does it so good to be true it makes you suspicious? You know? We can hang on to those negative teachings for a long time. We can tell you it's blessed that you are whole in Jesus, and then you can still think, well, but I really still think it's a little dirty. You know? You might want to laugh about that, but I think it's still true. How do we get from that place to God's grace and God's love where we have no fear anymore? No fear at all. I've invited Van English as one of us to share his story about this. 
One Saturday morning, the summer I was 15 years old, a racy, red-headed girl named Joanne Murphy called and invited me to go on a picnic with her. My mother gave me permission, so a few minutes later, Joanne picked me up in her parents' Chevrolet coupe, and we drove off to overlook the old hydroelectric plant. <laughs> it wasn't long before I realized that picnic was Joanne's euphemism for something very different, something I had not experienced. Well, it was over almost as soon as it had begun. <laughs> I felt hot and spent and dirty and confused and disappointed and bewildered. It was not anything like I had read about or heard about or expected. And I told Joanne I needed to go home. As we drove away from the scene of our carnage, her long red hair flowed out the driver's window and she puffed on a cigarette. I don't even think I said goodbye to her when I got out of the car. I ran inside the house and fell across the sectional, tucked my hands underneath myself. My father found me that way. He surely knew I was troubled. He knelt down and he said, Let's go for a ride. You can drive. Well, I bounded up. There was nothing much more exciting than taking my dad's El Camino for a spin. He said, we can drive as far and as fast as you would like. So through the Alabama countryside at a good clip, he said, you know, you can talk to me about anything in the world. I knew that. But he was a wise, opinionated, intimidating man, and it took me a lot to be able to share with him, and I wasn't quite ready. As I gripped the wheel, I blurted out, I had sexual intercourse with Joanne Murphy this morning. <laughs> Through the corner of my eye, I saw his body twitch a little bit. He placed his fingers in such a way over his face to mask his expression. I heard a little snicker before he cleared his throat, took a deep breath and said, <clears throat> you want to say any more about that? Well, I did not like it, and I do not want to do that again until I am married and ready to have a baby. Oh, it'll get better. You will like it. Pull in here. And he directed me into a little roadside store. He jumped out of the El Camino, came back in a minute with a paper sack, tossed it over into my lap. Go on, open it up. So I opened it, and there was a box of condoms. You know what those are? Yes, sir. Do you know how to use them? Well, yes. Well, use them, because we don't want anybody turning up pregnant, and we don't want any diseases. I closed the bag and handed it back to him, and I said, I told you, I'm not doing this again. I did not like it, and I won't need these. And now I'd like to be baptized. 
Well, the only thing more exciting to my father than the fact that his sissified son had just lost his virginity at the age of 15 was the prospect of my being baptized into the Church of Christ. I'll call Ned, that was our minister, who was also my uncle, and he'll have everything ready in the morning. I said, no, sir. Oh, no, Daddy. I don't want to get married, uh, get baptized. No, I don't want to get married either. Don't want to get baptized in the morning. I mean this afternoon. So, I had an ulterior motive. Not only did I feel so dirty for what I had done, I was also three years past the age of accountability. And I had been harassed unmercifully by all the elders and deacons in that church. And on top of that, our summer revival was beginning the very next day and the guest preacher was staying in our house. The pressure was just too much. So on that beautiful Saturday afternoon, my father, my mother, my two little brothers and I loaded into the station wagon and went out to the Liberty Church of Christ where we met Brother Ned Young, my uncle. And I was submerged in the coldest water you can imagine, otherwise known as the blood of the Lamb. When it was over, I thought it was so odd that my father wanted to help me out of my wet baptismal gown, dry me off, and help me dress in dry clothes as if I were a toddler right out of the bath. But then he drew me to him, and he hugged me and said, How do you feel? I said, I feel clean. I feel new. And then I understood he had waited for that moment. Not long after that, I had to be left alone at my father's place of business for an entire day all by myself with all that equipment and money in the cash register, and he wouldn't make sure that I felt okay with that. So he took me by the hands before he left for the day and said, you know, because of what you did Saturday afternoon, you don't ever have to be afraid again. He was talking about the baptism, not the sex. So, for a long time, I thought that baptism was not real, that it was some sort of cop-out for me because I had used it to cleanse myself from something I had considered dirty, and I had used it to ward off the harassment of my elders. But right here, today, in this safe and sacred space that was born, it so happens, on the very year that I was reborn, I know that that was real. I know that it was not a cop-out, for I am not afraid. Oh, from that beginning, we know you've come a long way, Van. And I know David appreciates it. I... Um, it's so remarkable how many of some of our first stories can be similar and how some of the stories we're told about dirty and what it means, you know, can resonate with us so deeply. And we feel like we have to do something like baptism to, in order to restore who we are. And it's just bad teaching. It is just bad teaching. Sometimes it sinks in in ways we're not even aware of. Walter and I discovered after we'd been in this church for a few years that we still had one of those bad teachings, and it was that we were 
unfit or unsafe to have children. And I've shared this with you. On one Sunday, we each held a court, court cardboard sign saying what was the challenge for us, and we remembered those things we were taught about sex, about it being dirty, about it, what it meant to be two people of the same sex, and that meant that we were unfit and unsafe. It was still there, even though we'd been together for 15 years and plus. And we shared with you that morning that you had healed us enough. We had heard about God's love enough here that we would begin the process of adoption. And we flipped that turnover and it said, the beginning, the process of adoption. And you were with us and you cheered and you clapped because maybe you knew in your own life there's those strings of old teaching that have to be undone so that we can give our whole selves to God. And I want to share with you that today is our first Father's Day as a legal family. So we agreed for Mark Brown to do our family as one of his backup families in his video clips. And so here's an update for you. So who's father? I think that we both are. Okay. No. He's father? Why, why, is, why, is, why is dad father? Know. You don't know? Because of father plays with you. Because they play with you? And you do other reports. Okay. But, okay. Uh, so uh, we're pop and dad. And we don't have stereotypical roles as far as that would be in a family normally, but Michael certainly reacts to Walter much more in the nurture, nurturing aspect. And he, he's uh -huh. the play guy more, so. And I'm the study guy, huh? And he's the more serious guy, he's the play guy. More. Oh, nice. Okay. That's okay. really nice. Yeah. Cool. And the toy guy. <laughs> I don't really think that we have, we both grew up with a mother and a father, but I don't think that our roles really fit that. I think that um, that we do both. Like Michael said, you know, you, you cook, but then I take him shopping when he needs to get clothes. And toys. Those are the fun things. What about when things are, are, are more hard? Who's, who's, who's really the dad when things are, when things are challenging? This guy over here. Mm -hmm. Tell my wife. Okay. When, when choices, things are really hard, what is Walter do that might be a little bit hard? Or what are you doing that might make it a little hard? Well, to make stupid choices. Um, uh, but you're not stupid. I'm not no, stupid. Right. you're not, not stupid. But sometimes you poor make choices. Yeah, poor choices. Right. Well, I call it stupid choices because it's the right thing. One of those moments is when uh, Michael was really upset and went to his room and it was quiet downstairs and Troy said, do you hear that? And Michael was singing to himself. He was singing, um, do you want to build a snowman from Frozen, of course. Yeah. And he was just singing acapella to himself and it was perfect and it was beautiful and it was just really just him being true to himself mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was beautiful. Well, for starters, he is amazing. He makes me mad sometimes, he gets on my nerves sometimes, but he's amazing. Excellent. So, how would you describe Papa? Pop. Pop. How would you describe Pop? P-O-P. P-O-P. Thank you. One long run on One long run on see. The mystery part. Mystery part? Mystery? mystery. What does that mean? I don't know. We you just don't. We, we just don't know what he's gonna do next. Oh. <laughs>
thank you for celebrating with us while we still don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and being this village family around us as we take these steps with one another. But we continue to be healed of the teachings that don't help us and continue to find roles that aren't necessarily the same ones that our mom and dad taught us were the right roles. You know, we kind of make fun of this. Even as kids, we snicker and giggle a little because we don't know how to make sense of our sexuality. And do you remember that uh, fortune cookie game when you took the fortune cookie out and you read the fortune and you would add, like, between the sheets or in bed, you know? And depending on what the fortune was, you would giggle and laugh and snicker because you were doing something you weren't supposed to do. I have a couple of them up here for you to play with me here on this. So this one, the fortune you seek is in another cookie in bed. I don't know what that means. Or, all things are difficult before they are easy in bed. <laughs> Maybe. And then this last one. It takes you less time to do a thing right than it does to explain what you did that wrong <laughs> in bed. So, we play and we have fun, but letting the belief sink in for us that we don't need to be cleansed of having a body. We don't need to be cleansed of having desire. We don't need to be cleansed of being sexual. These are things that are God-given blessings for us. We do not need to be cleansed from them. It takes time for us to truly believe this. Even the Catholics had a wonderful change in policy about 20 years ago. I don't know how many of you caught it, but they put out an encycle that said this. You can still have sex even if there's no way you can have a baby. Do y'all remember that one? It's my paraphrase. It was talking about women who had had menopause, or for other reasons, the relationship was barren, the man was sterile, and the Catholic Church said, you can still have sex, imagine that. And they said, for the good of the relationship, for the good of the relationship. So a, a big departure, I thought, that's a big enough loophole for me to drive a semi-truck through. <laughs> you know, it is, just leave it open. It's okay, even for non-procreative purposes. You can have sex for the good of the relationship. Go back and find that and read it. It amazed me then, it still amazes me now. Well, if we're going to talk about sexual healing, we can't do that without remembering Marvin Gaye. Any of you know the song? Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. You know? Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, you know, all that sort of stuff. Some of the lyrics of that song in 1982, whenever blue teardrops are falling and my emotional stability is leaving me, the love you give to me will free me. If you don't know the thing that you're dealing, oh, I can tell you, darling, that it's sexual healing. Marvin wrote this song after years of depression and after losing his partner, Tammy Terrell, a decade earlier. After that, he fought with addiction and fought with depression. And kind of a comeback, this song was one of the songs of his comeback period of time. And they asked Marvin, what does he, why does he write uh, his songs? It used to be for the prizes and for the recognition and for the awards. And he said, no, now I write my songs. I hopefully I record so that I can help someone overcome a bad time. I write my songs and record. Hopefully I can help someone overcome a bad time. Here's the man in depression, the man who has come out of addiction saying, oh baby, when we touch, when we really touch, there is sexual healing. You might listen to that song a different way. Put it on and wake up somebody next to you and get after it. It might bring you some, <laughs> might bring you some sexual healing. 
Now, if you feel you need to be cleansed from that statement, let's start back at the beginning of the sermon and work our way through it again as we do this. You may think I'm overstating it, but this rots our society. This rots our families. This causes all sorts of engagements of war and other things where we try to be a power over people instead of just love one another and recognize we're okay. This is a key to some of the things that are wrong for us. Sexual healing is necessary and needed. I know that in 1 John, they understood this, chapter 4, called the love chapter. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Whatever you're afraid of this day, Jesus and God together say, we can cast out that fear. Let go of all the senses that you are not good enough or that you're dirty, that I am with you. And it says, even in that scripture, those who abide in love, I abide in. You know that part about Jesus not being in bed with you? If you're abiding in love, God's present right there in the moment, abiding, happy, pleased to dwell with you body and soul. There was a person during the AIDS epidemic that um, I used to work with, and he had gone to Washington, D.C., to the mall the last time all the quilt could be laid out in its entirety. Before it got so big, it didn't fit anymore. And he was a single person and had lost lots of folks uh, to HIV and AIDS and was in grief. And he was walking around all those panels looking and grieving and just in immense pain. And there was another gentleman kneeling down at one of the corners uh, crying. And he went over and wrapped his arm around him and they cried together. What he told me in sort of a shocked amazement after that is they went back to his hotel room. They went back to his hotel room and they had sex with one another. As he described it to me, he said, it was the most beautiful thing I ever experienced. And I did the normal sort of thing, well, did you get his name? Did you get his number? <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, it was the most beautiful thing I experienced. In that moment, I knew healing. In the moment of touching another person in a way who understood who I was, what I was feeling, what I was understanding, the grief I was trying to overcome, I felt healing and I felt God's presence with us. And I don't know his name and I didn't get his phone number. But I'm, he was telling me he knew sexual healing in that place and time. And I wanted to celebrate it with him because it's true. There's not a document that makes it okay, like a marriage license. There's not some amount of time you have to wait. There's not any of this other stuff. But when you touch, when you touch, and he was saying they touched, it is healing. May we allow it to be that way in our marriages. May we allow it to be that way in our singleness. May we allow it to be that way in all of our life, welcoming it and welcoming God's presence in our very nature, our being, our soul, body, and spirit. Karen LaBox is a seminary professor and sexual ethicist, and she says this, passion, sex, passion, and eros are antidotes to the human, to wanting, human sin of wanting to be in control or to have power over another. 
Appropriate vulnerability, Karen says, may describe the basic intention for human life. Jesus, in turn, shows us the way to redemption by choosing not power, but vulnerability and relationship. By choosing not power, but vulnerability and relationship. Our writer says the same rules apply in bed. Love God, love neighbor. You know, some of us have a lot to do to love ourselves before we know how to love our neighbors. May it be so that we love God, love ourselves, so that we may love our neighbors fully and know that healing, body and spirit, sexuality and spirituality and wholeness, the same rules apply, not fear, but love. Not power over, but power with. Not that people are commodities, but they are with us in communities. They're not objects, but they're agents of their own action. So we resist. Anything that says such holiness is dirty. We refuse to let people say that what we have isn't God's love in our lives. We welcome the neighbor. We love all in this place. I don't know if you remember, just a couple of years ago, there was a protest because so many people were being beaten. And the protest was simply this, to hold hands together. Do you remember these video clips? There were so many video clips. People were putting them out to everyone. Hold hands as resistance. Love someone as resistance. Don't let them take away that which is precious to you. God says, hold hands with me. Let me cast out the fear. Amen.